Welcome to another episode of Red Skies, where we seek to read the cultural signs of our times in conversation with thought leaders from around the globe. Our goal is to find a path for our future as the church, asking the question, how can we as followers of Jesus be good news to an ever chaotic and divisive world? This podcast is brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective, a community and catalyst for movement leaders worldwide, and 100 Movements Publishing, seeking to change the conversation, shift paradigms, equip leaders, and inspire missional discipleship, and is produced and presented in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance, a generative, expansive, and intercultural network around theology and practice. You can find out more about the book, Red Skies, 10 Essential Conversations About Our Future as the Church, as well as other tools available to help your church, organization, or movement at redskiesfuture.com. The book can also be purchased on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and other platforms where books are sold. You can enter the missional conversation with other movement leaders around the globe at movementleaderscollective.com. And now for this week's episode. Hey, welcome to another Red Skies Conversation. Uh, my name is Roland Smith, and I am here with my co-host, Ania Kwabi. How are you, Ania? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's really good to spend some time with you. We've got a fantastic uh, conversation today with a really good friend of ours, Lisa Rodriguez Watson. Lisa serves as the National Director of Missio Alliance, and uh, for, li- for nearly two decades, her heart is to see people reconciled to God and one another. It has led her to invest her life and family in various roles within collegiate ministry, international missions, immigration advocacy, community development, and urban church planning. Wow, that is a mouthful, Lisa. It sounds like you have been extremely, extremely busy. It's good to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's a joy to be here. Thanks so much. And yeah, it's it's um it's a road. It's an adventure with Jesus, isn't it? Um, we get to do all kinds of wild and crazy things when we say yes um, to walking with Jesus. Yeah. Well, you and I are new friends um, through uh, two or three things we've worked on, but primarily through this book, Red Skies. And I have so appreciated your leadership and your perspective on migration uh, or immigration and how that informs the future of the church. And um, your your chapter is one of my favorites uh, as we were kind of going through the editing process, um, I just really enjoyed your your stories. And you and let me just kind of kick us off. You started um, you started with a story of an immigrant family from Afghanistan, um, but then you quickly say that this story of immigration isn't new to you; uh, right. that it's part of your story. And so, as a way for people to just kind of get to know you a little bit better, but also kind of framing the chapter, could you tell us a little bit about your own? family's uh, story and history and and why this topic is important to you and to the church. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so my um, my dad and and his parents and brothers um, are from Cuba. So he was born in Cuba and um, and that side of my family um, immigrated from Cuba in 1961. Uh, my dad was a 10 year old boy and uh, my grandparents had started a Bible college in um, a, a small town called Pinal de Rio. Um, and, and so when Castro was coming into power, it was becoming very obvious that things were going to get quite difficult um, for folks who particularly um, were Jesus followers. And, uh, and so the missionaries that he was in touch with said, you, you need to find a way to get yourself and your family out of here. Um, you can come to Nashville and finish your studies at the, the Bible college in Nashville. Um, and so it's, it's really quite a story, um, that it was over and over um, that they would go to, um, my grandfather would go to the immigration officials and say, I need five visas to leave. And over and over, they would say, you can have one, your wife and kids will stay, which is of course the 
you know, <laughs> that's the systemic way of saying either stay or break up your family. Um, and he refused that proposition every single time until uh, Christmas Eve, 1961, he went back and uh, said, I need five visas. And they said, okay, five visas, you leave tomorrow. Christmas Day, 1961, my family family came and landed in the United States and um, have been here ever since. What a a Christmas miracle. Um, Christmas I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I just think the, the symbolism of it all is just remarkable. You can't make that stuff up. Yeah, it would make a great Christmas Hallmark movie. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll pitch yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> And I wonder if you would reflect on how did the, that experience of, of immigration, how did that put its, its fingerprints on the faith of, of your family and even your faith and how you relate to God today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, having, having then grown up in the faith and in Christian tradition, um, it, it, felt very normal. Like it just was the normal thing. We just, it was what we did. Um, and it wasn't until, gosh, God called me into ministry. Like I didn't think about these things growing up. It just was, it just was part of our, you know, is a part of our family story. Um, God called me into ministry. I, I did all kinds of work abroad, um, summer after summer and went to seminary. Cause I knew that I was going to, you know, I thought that I was going to live overseas for the rest of my life. And, um, and then I didn't, and I ended up being in collegiate ministry for a while in Fresno, California, and really began to wonder, and this was a holy wondering, what is, what is it like for my, for my neighbors? I lived in urban downtown Fresno and so many of my neighbors were undocumented. They were working farms. They were transporting. They were driving trucks of fruit, oranges, peaches up and down the Central Valley. Um, their kids were in the school in my neighborhood and I was a, a, a I ran a tutoring program, so their kids were growing up, and I thought my immigration story is so different than theirs. Um, the the policies um, that were in place that allowed my family to come are vastly different, complete opposite, in fact, to the policies that are in place now that keep these families in a really vulnerable situation. Why did God bring me here right now? What is it that I need to know? about the scriptures and who God is and how God sees immigrants so that I can faithfully live out well my calling in this place and also understand more deeply God's heart for immigrants. Um, and so I was just on this journey and it really wasn't until I was mid-20s, um, late 20s, that I began to ask these kinds of questions because of my neighbors. And I, you know, and I think that that's such a missional um it's such a missional principle, right? You put yourself in the place where you can be in touch and then you ask the questions or at least you begin to try and get answers um, to the questions that your neighbors are asking. Yeah, you know, loving and knowing your neighbors gives us such a perspective on who God is and That's what right. scripture is saying. And one of the things you make incredibly clear in your chapter is that um, we we are not uninformed about God's perspective on immigrants and foreigners um, or God's use of immigration in God's big story. And yeah. so why do you think so often, especially American Christians, get this so wrong? Hmm. Well, it's... <laughs> I. Th- it took me a long time before I say why everybody else gets it wrong. Let me say why I got it wrong. (laughs) Um, It took me a long time to see the immigrant story in the scriptures. And I think that we come with lenses that are, that are about how our own personal piety, I think. And, um, and we see stories of sojourners like Moses and Abraham and, um, Ruth and Naomi, and we just want to excavate the spiritual, let's say the sort of like, oh, dedication, the devotion, those kinds of things that maybe are more vertical in nature about the Christian faith. Um, 
and and we don't see that they are real people in real places in 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 an actual immigrant story in a narrative and we don't see them with the lenses of of immigrants and sojourners um we just see them through our own lenses which for many many of us doesn't include an immigrant narrative um and i think so that's one thing and and, I, and when my eyes became open to the fact that the story of the sojourner is throughout the scriptures um and god has um, a preferential option for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner, right? And I talk about this in the chapter um, that Nicholas Wolterstorff, a, a theologian, um, he coined the phrase, um, the, the quartet of the oppressed, um, the foreigner, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Um, and when we begin to see that, then our eyes are open. Then we can see, oh, this isn't just about me and having a better quiet time i have a responsibility i have a responsibility to learn more to know more um so that i think can be one aha the second thing is that where where our christian faith calls us to um sacrifice surrender and hardship <laughs> the rubber meets the road in quite different kinds of ways right and so some of what i talk about in the chapter actually has to deal with the fact that we might have some some real concerns about um changing policies around immigration so that immigrants can actually come. Um, we might have some fears about what that means. Maybe we don't even know what the immigration system actually is. What are some of the real obstacles for folks who are trying to come here? Um, because we all think that there is a fair process and there's not really a fair process. Um, so informing ourselves, not just about what the scripture has to say, which I think for sure, as followers of Jesus, we must be informed. And then understanding what, what are some of the hurdles that everybody faces because of the systems that are in place. And we need to do as much due diligence to that as we do to the scriptures so that we can be faithful. Yeah, I, I was, um, I found myself kind of reading an invitation almost mm -hmm. in, in the section on sojourners. I mean, as a, as like, you know, a white older guy that lives in a, you know, wealthy country with privilege and status and all of those things. I mean, you, you point out that, you know, migration is like this common theme throughout scripture, like you just talked about. And you said, my, you know, migration and displacement go back to the Garden of Eden. That's and as you went, as you went through that, I kind of found myself saying, oh, I am invited into the immigrant story or, or, the realization that, oh yeah, in a spiritual sense, I'm an immigrant too. I'm like, I'm always trying to find my way um, to, to that place. Um, what, I mean, what is it do you, that you think, and I, you know, maybe it, this kind of goes off of Aeneas thought too. Do you think that it's just a bioptic view of our, our spiritual sense as Christians and our, nationalistic sense as Americans and that we haven't found a way, a good way to shuffle those together? Or, I mean, why is it, it seems so natural to me to say, if we want an, a, you know, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, an American nation, you know, which has been used for decades or a Christian nation, um, that it would follow these principles of, the the immigrant you know and like actually wel welcoming that in um so do you think there's just such a separation that that is the problem that we've found i think that could be it to some extent i i also think that for folks like you roland and i'm just gonna put you in a like a bit of a prototype or a stereotype yeah, since yeah. you've already named it yeah. a white middle class wealthy male um there isn't there is an extent to which you you haven't necessarily needed to interact with immigrants maybe as service people and i'm not saying you specifically yeah, yeah. but just generally um you know we'll we'll um you know 
be customers at a you know at an immigrant restaurant or will um hire immigrants for the businesses that we run in some form or fashion mm -hmm. but that might be the extent to which we will invite the immigrant to intersect um and i think we're the poorer for it right because the the truth as it as it let me just kind of shift back now to sort of the the future of the church we're the poorer for it because the vib the vibrant faith that immigrant communities have and bring um is something that we desperately need i need you know you need we need um and i think that it can there's a cost and there's a benefit um and and sometimes that like cost of crossing comfort zones and trying to like relate to somebody who has different customs and and language and you know all kinds of things it, it is costly and let's be honest like i i'm gonna fumble my way forward on a few things i might even fumble my way backward on a couple things um but the beauty of it is is that when we realize that we need each other like we actually truly need each other um mm. to more deeply know god and and to more holistically like fully live um and enjoy and flourish let me use that word flourish um I think, uh, I think then we're then we begin to like realize, oh, the 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 sort of like middle class non-immigrant enclave is a is a problem. It's not just like a, oh, it's a part of my life, but actually there's a problem here. Mm -hmm. Much like the way that we see the white evangelical church has had the the homogeneous unit principle for church growth, really really problematic, um, and so I think that we are invited as you said roland um that there is a way that we're always being called home both in a spiritual sense but also we're being invited into an invitation for further flourishing for a deeper understanding of god because i can't possibly know who god is from my very own perspective which is the only lens that i i have to view the world and jesus in um so yeah maybe that maybe that gets to the question a little bit yeah. What? So, I, well, I'm thinking about um, after after I engaged your chapter. I mean, and it really was. I'm not just patting you on the back. It really did uh, kind of precipitate uh, my own journey. And now I'm a mentor for a Congolese um, nice. uh, asylee right now, mm -hmm. and and it's been what it is has been a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. uh, to me and I get to learn French, you know, so it's like, it's a co-learning thing. I'm not like trying to go into it with like, I'm the American and have all the answers. It's like, Hey, teach me French, you know? Right. And so it's become a great relationship. I mean, that takes us, I know that dives us down to kind of the hundred foot view, but, um, could you just talk about like, what, what are practical steps as missional practitioners, not just, leaders of churches but as individuals whether we're pastors leading organizations what are, what it is what are these practical kind of steps that we can take to to risk that cross-cultural step mm -hmm. um i mean i think you've hit on something that's it's it's a perfect example right like you i don't know how you got in touch with your mentee um but they're in so many cities where refugees are being resettled or where immigrant communities are sprouting up um and this is both urban and rural right because we have folks coming to work farms and that these immigrant communities are are you know are sprouting in in rural in rural places just like they are in urban centers um so visit an immigrant church there's an easy you know like take a sunday and don't go to your own church and go to an immigrant church um and introduce yourself and if if the chance were to come up um like i'm looking i'm looking for some friends you know and could could we grab coffee or you know meet the pastor um uh that's that's one way teach maybe uh volunteer at a refugee ministry um tgsl mm -hmm. i don't think you have to be super credentialed or do child care for um esl you know classes because immigrant parents have kids a lot of times and they need someone to watch their kids while they're learning english so there are there are a variety of opportunities like that to get in touch with folks who um like you've done are 
are from a very different background and 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 the beauty of it is is that that it's a it's a mutual relationship you're not yeah. just there yeah. to um to teach them all that you know um but yeah. what you do know is valuable and and then the critical piece is to be a learner um yeah. coming in with a learning posture and and understanding this person has a world of experiences that God has allowed them to journey through that you will get to benefit from as long as you remain curious. Yeah. You really find out how much you don't know. Yeah. I think when, when these relationships and I'll just tag real quick, um, the Lutheran family services is yeah. a national mm -hmm. organization and, and that's how, that's what we've gotten involved with, but I know they have a refugee and asylum program and they're always looking for what they call cultural mentors. So, yeah, right. Yeah. I would, I could also name, so Lutheran social services, Catholic charities, world mm -hmm. relief are all, um, major re refugee resettlement um, organizations, as well as there are others um, that are not faith-based, that is the International Rescue Committee. So um, if you're curious and want to look up to see if, if those refugee resettlement agencies are in your area, those would be four that I could point you to. I think, Lisa, you have very astutely named some of the, the harms that we can do when we engage with immigrants or refugees in the wrong way, which is either assuming that our perspective is the right perspective and that we are there to teach uh, somebody who has a whole life experience, or by, by using folks to say, my faith needs to be more vibrant here, I'm going to come and take what you all have to offer as a moral lesson to, to me. Um, are there other ways in which we can make sure that we're not doing that when we're engaging with other people uh, who are created in God's image? Hmm. I, I mean, I, I think it's, we have to always be mindful of our posture. Um, and, and, and yes, so not just using um, in the sense that you've already named and, um, and, and not also not like, oh, let me teach you or let me get from you. But really, like when we understand that these folks that we are becoming friends with or interacting with are image bearers, that should shift everything. That really should shift everything. Well, like equalizing um, the, the playing fields quite a bit to where it's not an us versus them, it's, it's us together. Um, and it's we, and uh, and I think that hopefully, Onia, that would undo some of the harmful ways because uh, the ways that we've that we've perceived one another, um, and the ways that we've not just perceived but actually behaved towards one another. Um, but I think it does begin with the perception, and that's why it's so critical. Um, and I always like anytime I give a talk around immigrants and immigration, I always begin with the image of God. Because if we don't get that right, we don't get anything right. If I only ever see you as either an object to be proselytized and evangelized, or on the other very flip side, um, someone who's going to help me get my faith right, then you're only an object. <laughs> we are not a full-on image of God. Um, and, and, and that's a big mistake. So we've got to get that right. And then there's all kinds of other things that, you know, that are out um, outcomes and outgrowths and, and all of that of getting that very first piece right. But if you're only ever um, someone at the border, someone who's come unlawfully, uh, a refugee who, well, bless their hearts, they've made this really hard journey, and I can't relate to you as an image bearer, we've started off on the wrong foot. So good and so wise. I, I also wonder how you would tell us to engage politically with some of these systems that you mentioned are so broken. Uh, I My husband is an immigrant and we have engaged with immigration on, on several levels. And let me just tell you, it's about as pleasant as a root canal that goes on for <laughs> several years. So how might we as Christ followers uh, uh, step into that system knowing God's care and concern for the immigrant? You know, I'll answer in a very general way, and then I'll be a little more specific. I think we don't put a high enough premium on curiosity these days. Um, and what I mean by that is, 
we think we know we are so there's so much information we just like an information overload age right like there's we have access to information a hundred percent of the time if we want to um on the phone on the watch on the computer information 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 and our information these days especially is quite biased um so so i think that we we have to be curious and wonder is what and, and i think we probably do an okay job with this some of us is what i'm hearing representative of the truth um you know all you have to do is get in line just wait your turn that is not a that is doesn't represent the truth of, of our system um so is there a system yes um but the complexities of that quote unquote line um are far more complex than you could possibly imagine um so i think of one option would be if you have a refugee resettlement or immigrant services um, and have the time sit next to a lawyer <laughs> and help people process their paperwork it's just a paper you know it's a paper processing kind of thing and you won't certainly because you know, most of us aren't legal experts but you can begin to see and hear the stories of of folks oh you know my parents brought me when i was a baby and i didn't qualify for daca deferred action for childhood arrivals and so i'm eligible for deportation my temporary protective services ran out i'm eligible for deportation my father got deported because this this some small thing one of the the refugees that um that i talk about in the book had to throw his passport away because he was being um he was being pursued by the taliban and he didn't want to have any you know identification because he had served our our u.s military um and so he tore up his passport when you tear up your passport that's a big deal um getting into the united states doesn't make it impossible but when i have been calling different um service providers and refugee resettlements they're like what's his passport number i'm like well he doesn't have a passport number um and so there there's a massive complexity um but not to be long on problem and short on solution i think um there are great books there's a book called welcoming the stranger um written by matt sorens and jenny yang i highly recommend that and um maybe getting on the website um evangelical immigration table um is another is another resource to begin to learn about the actual systems that keep both people um in places that are vulnerable, but also fail to address the real immigration needs that our country has. Um, so that's, and then wanting to learn more about what the scriptures have to say. Um, Danny Carroll um, is a professor, I believe he's at Wheaton now, and he wrote a book called Christians at the Border. He's a Old Testament professor and just did a really wonderful job of breaking down the Old Testament. Those have all been really helpful resources for me as I've learned over the last decade of what does scripture have to say about immigration and what's my responsibility and how do I learn about what the realities are of the U.S. immigration system and advocate for a system uh, that, that um, gives the potential for human flourishing in more full and real ways. I'm amazed still that um, immigration gets so quickly put in a nationalistic conversation, hmm. even by the church. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm being self-critical of the church in general, you know, sure. just in America. And it's, it's a, it's a spiritual conversation. It's a, it's a kingdom conversation. Um, and you, you help frame that in the chapter. So, well, you, you and I talked a little bit um, when we were going through editing and stuff, not not to turn this into a strategic thing at all, because it's not. I mean, it's an Imago Day uh, posture, but how the church has been so fervent at sending overseas. <laughs> and then a lot of us are aware that there's a, you know, um, the migrant south, uh, you know, um, has has kind of taken the lead in missionary work now but there's so many my migrants coming to america and we fail to see that as um you know conversations 
that we can have about Jesus and faith and living together and bringing the kingdom to bear in our neighborhoods. It's almost like we bypass immigrants to take take the kingdom overseas still in, in some in some senses. Um, and you write you write a really beautiful paragraph. Um, I just wanted to um, if I can read your words back to you sure. yeah. and then get you to kind of um, riff on it a little bit. Uh, you say, could it be that human migration, through human migration, God and his abundant kindness is bringing the mercies of the vibrant global church to those of us who are thirsty and needy in North America? Will we be ready to receive? Will we be ready to respond with curiosity rather than defensiveness? Will we be ready to listen and learn? Will we be ready to follow rather than lead? Will we be ready to repent? And, um, and I thought, you know, earlier in the book, Alan Hirsch, um, talks about repentance and metanoia and this change of mind that that word, um, brings. And so, um, yeah, could you just talk a little bit about this posture of realizing that the world is coming to us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? How God creates twists and turns in our stories. So I alluded a little bit ago to the fact that I was called to a ministry. And the truth is, it was like this very clear, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to go to Africa, kind of a calling. So my own call to ministry was a call to, in my mind, go somewhere far away. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> and isn't it like God in some ways to be like, actually, no, <laughs> um, I'm going to help you open the North American. It's not just me. I'm going to overstate yeah. this. Open the, the, the eyes of, of Christians here in North America to see that that I'm moving people from all over the world to come to this place and you need them. Um, and. And I and so I have to confess that I had some repenting to do. I had some repenting to do um, sort of as I went through my own ethnic identity development in some of the ways that I had perceived other other newer immigrants when I was younger, when, you know, when I was in my teens and early 20s, I had to repent from that. I had to repent from the mindset of like, oh, well, miss missions and ministry means to go over there. Um, missions only happens when you're doing this thing or that thing that 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 serves other people um and i and and so there's a lot of repenting this is like a you know we need to talk more about repentance i love alan for uh for always like just going after it because we've we've got to we've got to have that as a lifestyle and not something that you do on a sunday morning before you in my tradition, you walk down an aisle. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so there is there is a repentance. I think, Roland, the, another thing is um, we have to repent from always having had the answers, right? Mm -hmm. The rest of, conceivably, the rest of the world has looked to the West for a couple hundred years at least for answers. Oh, you're bringing the good news. Oh, what does... What does the, the, the Bible say? What does the white man Bible say? Um, how do we follow your God? And in fact, hmm. God has, the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in those people, in those places. And we've done a disservice to go and say, this is, you know, I mean, we got to be careful because there is a message that we carry, right? Like how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, but how beautiful on the mountain are the ears of those who will listen to what God has already been doing in a place among a people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that we have to repent from always having had the answers. We have to repent from always being the ones that have been doing the telling instead of the listening, um, the giving instead of the receiving. Now, I'm not saying we should hoard all of our recess resources and never share. Don't hear me say that because for sure, when we have a mindset of mutuality, when we begin with the Imago Day, I think that we begin to position ourselves um, with the mindset that everything Everything, not just what I have, but what you have is meant to be shared. We are brothers and sisters. We are a family. We are a body. And when we begin to see ourselves as the body of Christ, you the hand, me the arm, you know, the, the feet, um, 
that would shift our perspective and help us to understand the mutuality that's there rather than the superiority, the inferiority, the up and the down. Um, who's the giver? Who's the receiver? Uh, but I do think as Western and as North American Christians, particularly in the, in the white dominant context, um, it's time to listen. It's time to listen. Um, and, 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 and we've got to be quiet if we're going to listen. <laughs> and we have to sit down and, and let somebody else lead. And we have to not start something new and we have to follow, um, which is hard. Can I just say that that can be really hard? And it's, and it's as somebody who now runs an organization, it is very hard to say that person is, is probably the most quote unquote qualified and we're not going to go that direction because the truth is we need diversity more than we need qualification. And that means we may have to invest for longer as leaders. Um, and it doesn't mean the people who are coming to us aren't qualified. It just means maybe they haven't had the same set of opportunities. Um, it's hard, but let's yeah. do the hard thing. Let's go ahead and do the hard thing. And sometimes it's worth more than excellence too, I think. Yeah. I mean, we may be more qualified to do something, but diversity or in raising up voices is more important than even that you know, That's more, right. more excellent product or whatever it is. Yeah. Or That's maybe right. it means looking at excellence and qualifications differently. There you uh, go. So yeah. They have been yeah. Trained in ways that are, are cultural. Um, yeah. But what we're really yeah. looking for when you're looking for these different perspectives is a different sort of excellence. It's a Absolutely. different sort of qualification. And so yeah. um, you're, you're right. It is a tough thing day to day. But um, as, as, as to paraphrase what you said, if we're just bringing a, a white Western gospel that in and of itself is not really good news. Mm -hmm. That's right. At least it's not the whole of it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Right. At least I would, this is a little bit different than what we've done on previous podcasts. And I know repentance is more than just the prayer. It's a walking it out. But mm -hmm. I do wonder if you might lead us in a, a prayer of repentance around this particular issue. I just, I feel so strongly in my spirit that we need to pray. Hmm. Sure. I've never done that before, but, you know, not on a podcast. I've done it plenty on my own. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, let's pray. God, we confess um, that, that we have done more talking than listening, and we have been about our own agendas um, that have been good, um, but may not have always served your purposes in your kingdom. And we confess that that is wrong. And we repent, Lord. And we ask that you would humbly um, hear our prayers, open our eyes to see, um, to see the, the folks that we consider as other to be um, image bearers, we confess that we have made projects out of people and we repent. And we ask Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see that people are people and that um, not only do they bear your image, but so many um, are temples of the Holy Spirit, are already our brothers and sisters. And we have, um, we have marginalized them either um, by choice or by ignorance. And we repent of that. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty that you are creating across the globe, the ways that you, um, that you move people and that you are bringing your plan of rescue to us in North America. by means of uh, the global church. Help us not to miss it. Awaken, awaken our hearts that we wouldn't miss it, God. And help us to be open-handed with the things that we fear. Transform that fear into faith, 
that we might not miss what you're doing, um, that we might begin to see uh, the ways that we need to engage the political process for the flourishing of your kingdom, for, for our own well-being and for the well-being of those who are coming to our country. I can't even hardly conceive of your heart, Lord, how big it is for all of humanity. But I repent that mine is small. I confess and I repent that mine is small. And I say, open my heart. Open our hearts, God. Um, we know that you are good and that you are working out your plans and your kingdom advancement. And we, we long to join you. So we confess these things before you, and we ask that you would show us how to live faithfully, not just pray prayers, but to, to walk our faith out in our communities um, for the glory of your name, for you are good and you are holy and you are worthy of our praise and our honor and our very lives. And we ask this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 What a great idea, Ania. Um, Lisa, you're staring up over here. <laughs> I know you are, but that's great. That's great. Um, thanks for being on this podcast and, and even more so part of the book and even more than that, a, a leader with a platform that, that is taking on this conversation uh, mm -hmm. nationally. And, um, I know you and I have talked a little bit and you, I know you're feeling some things and wondering how you're going to create more kind of yeah. disruption so that we recognize this uh, going forward. How can people um, get in touch with you, keep up with what you're doing and give us a little bit of Miscue Alliance as well, because it's a great organization yeah. that you lead. Sure. Thanks. Um, so yeah, the organization um, I have the privilege of, of giving leadership to is Missio Alliance. You can find us on, on the socials at Missio, that's M-I-S-S-I-O Alliance. Um, Missio Alliance on, on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we also have a website, missioalliance.org. And, um, and you'll, you'll get to come into contact with our, um, our content creators, our writers, our podcasters, the Red Skies podcast is one of our podcasts. So we're really grateful to get to, um, to elevate this. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not a big social media person, but every once in a while, I, I do something here and there. So um, my Twitter handle, well, you can follow me on Twitter, but you'll be sorely disappointed is at Elrod Watson. Um, and also uh, on Instagram. And then I'm Lisa Rodriguez Watson on Facebook. If people would like to continue this particular conversation, pastors yeah. or leaders, can they uh, get hold of you from the Missy Alliance website? For to, sure. To email you or something? Yeah, continue? yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, fantastic. Um, thank you so much for all you do. And, um, you know, you're, you're a blessing to the kingdom and to the church in America to keep our eyes open to things like this. And Nia, it was great to be with you as well. And uh, we will we will talk to you both soon, hopefully. What a joy. Thanks so much for this uh, privilege and opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining this episode of Red Skies, the podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective and 100 Movements Publishing in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance. You can join the conversation at movementleaderscollective.com and connect with us at Red Skies at redskiesfuture.com. And as well, pick up your copy of Red Skies 10 Essential Conversations for Our Future as the Church on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places that fine books are sold. Be sure to like this podcast and share it with others, and we look forward to continued conversations on our future as the church.
Thank you for joining this episode of Red Skies, the podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by Movement Leaders Collective and 100 Movements Publishing in partnership with our friends at Missio Alliance. You can join the conversation at movementleaderscollective.com and connect with us at Red Skies at redskiesfuture.com. And as well, pick up your copy of Red Skies, 10 Essential Conversations for Our Future as the Church on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places that fine books are sold. Be sure to like this podcast and share it with others, and we look forward to continued conversations on our future as the church.